I mean, we, we, keep, we keep doing this. I mean, we keep, we keep doing... Don't say it's beautiful like a man who just built paradise. <laughs> it's actually not Gary. I don't know... Don't help. Uh, don't help me, please. Um, want to say a couple of things before we start? Uh, Sit down, sir. What the fuck? What the fucking shit? Unbelievable. Jesus Christ. Did you guys not see the time on the ticket? So many beers. Look at him. Oh my God, like, I had to get nine time. beers. How the fuck is he holding them all in one hand? I think we had to get 35 beers for the show. That's the most Australian thing I've ever seen. Five <laughs> fucking beers. Too. He's like, I don't need two fucking hands yeah. for this. Yeah. Uh, He's got, like, the warrior bottle fingers. That was insane. It's a deep cut. Um, So the movie Tickled here just opened. Yes. So please go see it. Uh, It is fucking awesome. Relive episode three or whatever that was. Uh, It is so amazing. um, And then uh, uh, you guys, uh, I run the Los Angeles Podcast Festival, and uh, and, uh, you guys, we do a live stream. So uh, you here in Australia can watch the shows uh, all weekend uh, in your whatever you want to wear. Like you can sit there Whoa, in your socks. Totally, absolutely taking a turn. Completely, right? completely just letting it all hang out. All right. Well, go to lapodfest.com and uh, and you can put in the code dollop or tofa, uh, and they'll get you five bucks off. Trust me, it's totally worth it. If I go home tonight and there's no sales, fuck Damn. you guys. Horrible. I'm a good salesman. No, terrible salesman. Um, and then I want to announce this is for the people at home in America. Uh, we're doing a U.S. tour. Uh, tickets will be uh, for the Patreon people. Will go. A link will go out on Wednesday. Sure. Yeah. Maybe Thursday. Absolutely. <laughs> Got my Maybe fingerprints Thursday. all over this one. Uh, it's going to be San Francisco, Seattle, and uh, Portland. The only good cities in America. <laughs> if you guys have been there, the rest of it's just shit. Uh, yeah, those are my uh, things. Great, your things are fantastic. Um, um, ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome our guest, Will Anderson. <laughs> that, I love that first bit because that was the sound of a thousand people going, How do we skip this? Yeah. <laughs> Damn. I normally skip the blogs. How do I do it live? <laughs> That's why people are like, hey, man, when are you coming to Australia? Yesterday. How would I know that? Don't skip that part. Fair point. Yeah. Uh, we're also on Facebook. What the hell's happening? Uh, are we just going to go through all the social medias we're on? <laughs> um, uh, I would like to thank uh, Adam uh, Bailey, who did research for me for this episode. Um, Look at that. That was fucked up. Just like it was so not natural. Like you guys were like, I guess there's going to be a pause here. Well, you didn't like, because uh, w- w- there was a bit of a mystery behind it. Like, we're like, is he here? Yeah. Is he about to go? And he's here. And there'd be a spotlight. But there's an empty seat right there. Is that where Adam was meant to be? Yeah. Uh, that's another thing is he died. <laughs> All right. So I, I guess, I I guess the sequence you went in is yeah. incorrect he, a little he, bit. He, <laughs> Dedicated to it. He was out on the street, and there's a streetcar coming by. His channels were hanging out, <laughs> and he got caught. Been there. In a... <laughs> Been there, sister. Um, 
Hi, my name is Dave Anthony, and uh, you're listening to The Dollop. This is uh, a bi-weekly American history podcast. Each week, I read a story from American history to my friend. Gareth Reynolds and Will Anderson, who have no ideas what the topics are going to be about. Too many pluralizations, probably. I think you could lose two S's in that. Didn't, we didn't go great. Huh? We should start over. Um, I was going to say something else. I don't remember what it is. Flappers. Flappers. When, are you going to be at Flappers? Do you have a date coming up? <laughs> I mean, also, by the way, the, the good visit. people at Flappers just got a little chill down their back and were like, what fucking happened? Yes, it's become a bit of a situation, Will. Uh, it's awkward now. Thank you, sir, though, for fueling the fire. We all appreciate it over here at Flappers. October 1st, 1954! In the small town... Oh, we're going to fuck this up right away. In the small town of Mergen... Mm-hmm. Touche, David. Queensland. It's actually... Uh, is that one wrong? What did we just do? I don't know. I think Queensland's wrong. Have you guys ever read the fucking... <laughs> Here we go. Queensland. Queensland? Queensland. You guys need to get the fuck over it. You're fucking... You know, there's actually an article written in a paper that was like, Australians are weird about language. It was everyone written else, by day. Everyone else, people say something, and you go, yeah, they're from another country. Not you guys. Well, at least you guys didn't keep me on that island. It's actually Island. <laughs> They're going to be sticklers. George and, George and Eva Ansel had their third child. He was blonde, blue-eyed, and they named him Rodney William Ansel. Mm. Rodney was uh, a smart child who spent most of his time barefoot. Sure. Doesn't seem that abnormal. Run around barefoot? Yeah. Right? It's the 50s. Pre, it's, it was the pre-shoe era. Right. All Australian children used to wear no shoes and smoke cigarettes. Yeah. <laughs> it was the 50s, man. I burned my feet again. <laughs> uh, he was not uh, uh, really school-oriented. That was not his thing. He would often blow off his, uh, his studies and instead collect boxes of silkworms and care for his many pet wallabies. <laughs> I'm a fan. I am a... Uh... Right? Yeah. yeah. This guy's got it going on. Uh, that's not good. Rod left his family at the age of 15, still, as far as I can tell, classic Australian. Yeah. And moved to the Northern Territory where he learned the skills of uh, being a cattle catcher. Sure. Absolutely. Do you know what catching a, a cattle is? I mean, a lot of people think the catching bit's the hard bit, but it's actually throwing it that is much more difficult. Yeah. People don't appreciate it. Once it's in the air, all you have to do to catch it is get under it. But yeah. actually getting a cow into the air, that's yeah. the fucking tricky bit. But it's always the fucking cow catcher that gets all the fucking credit, not the fucking cow pitcher. I mean, I'm not going to argue with any of that. I grew up on a farm. 
I got all these ones for yeah. you. <laughs> Did you have shoes? <laughs> yeah, it was the 70s. Oh, right. Very progressive. <laughs> Platforms, but shoes. Catching cattle uh, by hand is a rather difficult process that involves approaching the animal and wrapping its tail around your hand, then faking one way and another until the now angry animal tries to shake you off and trips over itself and falls down. There's got to be a better way. What, do you think so? That's insane. We did this thing in America called the lasso. Yeah. You wrap it up and you take it down, but not here. I mean, the there's tail. Been a lot thicket, of... Thicket, 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 thicket. He's down. There's going to be a lot of trial and error with that, too. We're like, well, okay, if you just grab his tail, that's not enough. My fucking head. He really trampled me. So uh, Rod became very good at uh, dealing with animals, and he spent the next few years working as a cattle catcher on different cattle stations and Aboriginal missions. Okay, what's a, uh, what's a cattle station? So it's just like a ranch? Yeah. That's where you put gas in them. But what's that? What's a what? Yeah, that's where you fill them up with milk. A lot of people don't know that. Yeah. You have to actually fill the cows yeah. up first. Yeah. You gotta get Do you want skim or regular? Yeah. Change the udders every thousand feet. If you want longevity. That's the trick. You've got to yeah. rotate them. You, you absolutely rotate, rotate them, the, the udders. You have yeah. to rotate the udders. <laughs> in May of 1977, now living in Western Australia, Rod uh, decided to take a fishing trip and told his girlfriend that he would, quote, be back in a few months. Cool, normal stuff. I yeah. mean, that's... I mean, he's, it's a serious fishing trip. Yeah, he loves gonna... fishing. They, they called yeah. him fish, Fishing Rod. <laughs> Well done, sir. That was awesome. You won. What a run. What a run. You won. (laughs) Now, everyone who knew Rod knew exactly what he was actually up to. He was going to poach crocodiles, which is illegal and punishable by a $2,000 fine or six months in jail. (laughs) Or getting eaten. Well, then you don't have to worry about the jail part. It's true. Unless you're just, like, part of you. Like, if part of you is gone, you still have to worry We about sentence it. your legs to death. No, I mean, your legs can't live on their own. I'm talking about it. Like, if your legs were gone, the rest of you would go to jail. You're going to get out no problem. You'll sneak out of those bars. You're like that little Asian guy in Ocean's, Ocean's Eleven. Just... I mean, I, mean the w- I didn't know what you were talking about, and then the way you brought it to life... <laughs> Because I remember Ocean's Eleven, I remember there was a guy no, that no, kept no, shrugging. Dave, this guy. Dave, this guy. Oh. I'm in the box. That guy. Remember? Will's with me. I'm with you. <laughs> uh, so Rod uh, prepared well for his journey. He stocked an 18-foot boat with supplies, took along two dogs for company, and brought a 12-foot dinghy in case of an emergency. Rod took off and went up the estuaries of the Fitzmaurice... You don't fucking care. <laughs> On his fishing trip and looking forward to a few months of solitude and relaxation. Uh-huh. Then he was thrown from his boat to, quote, it was pretty quiet, then something heaved up under the boat and threw me and the pups and all my stuff in the water. Mm. Mm-hmm. It is not known exactly what caused this incident, but Rob would later say it could only have been a whale. So I reckon the dog saw some shit they didn't like and threw him overboard. <laughs> 
Do you know what I mean? Like the two of them have just gone, fuck this guy, we can take this boat. Yeah, there's two of us, there's one of him and a dinghy. I mean, it's pretty... You know, freshwater river whales are pretty common. That, that's the thing about a river whale, is yeah. that there's not much room for them, so you're right. going to get knocked over. I mean, it's essentially hitting a rock. Yeah. So the boat was uh, ruined, and Rod retrieved his dinghy, then grabbed a tin of powdered milk, which he used to uh, scoop the water from the dinghy. What? He, he got a tin of powdered milk, and he what? emptied it out, and he used it to scoop the water out of the dinghy, so he could be in the dinghy. You heard me. <laughs> For the next four days, Rod and his dogs floated in the dinghy around the estuaries before finally paddling up an entrance to the river. So now Rod was stranded with only a swag, rifle, knife, and a can of peas and a box of wet matches and his dogs. Cool. What else do you need? That's, why, that's how I would go in the first place. Yeah, wet those matches. Oh, I needed my peas, really. On the fifth day, he landed the dinghy and made camp on the bank of the river. Rod found a nearby source of uh, fresh water, but the very high temperatures were making him sweat quite a bit, which was depleting his body's needed salt. Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Doing as any person would do in this situation, Rod shot a wild cow and sucked blood from its neck. Sure. <laughs> Absolutely. That's your plan A. It doesn't always come to fruition, but the first right. thing you want to do is vampire a cow neck. Right. Yeah, uh, suck it dry. They're salty. Everyone knows yeah. that. All yeah. the salt's in the. Uh, I mean, you know, it's weird when the dogs are like, "What the fuck is he doing?" Right. <laughs> oh, I don't want to. I don't want to be with this guy. This can't end well. When I was a kid, we actually didn't uh, have salt. We just had a cow on the back. You want and some you... pepper? Cow blood? <laughs> like seasoning? Uh, there's nothing like fresh, fresh cow blood. Mm. Mm. He then uh, shared the meat with his dogs. So he had... Yeah, that was nice. That's nice. Yeah. He'd nice. sit there to eat it in front of him and go, fuck off, get your own. Um, that was one of the dogs. You guys, I did tons of accents. Sorry, in this country it's pronounced back. Fuck. Uh, you mean fook. Okay. I just want you to get it right. Mm-hmm. All right, so he, has, uh, so he has food now. So he's and, eating a cow with his dogs. <laughs> uh, he has food, he had water, and now he just needed uh, to figure out his next move, right? Quote, I thought I'd sit it out there and wait until the wet came in October. Then I'd have a chance to follow the wet season water holes down to Vic as long as I didn't get too weak. I built sort of a treehouse. By treehouse, he meant he threaded some saplings through the fork of a tree to create an elevated platform for sleeping. Nice. Yep. Uh, it being Australia, a large tree snake also lived in the tree. It's fun. It's like the Jungle Book. Yeah. Good time. Probably singing. The, the snake it's would really be good to get him to lay in front of the door to prevent breezes yeah. coming through. Could you possibly? If the toilet's blocked, you can yeah. use him. He's living like the Flintstones. It's really handy to have. Yeah. My dishwasher's an octopus. Hi. Welcome to Cribs. Who, who controls the fish? <laughs> who controls the fish? Aquaman. Aquaman controls the fish. Spoilers. <laughs> you weren't on that episode of Tofu. No, but thanks for making me feel so left out. 
Uh, so occasionally the, the snake would come down to check out Rod and his dogs, but for the most part, they, they stuck to their own parts of the tree. What, he's sharing a tree with a snake? It's Australia. It's try, dangerous. Try to not do that living in a tree. That's fair. Now, uh, now they're crocodiles. Also, the snake like is living in the tree, but not with them, so he's kind of like Kramer. Yeah. He just like pops over to cause a fucking mess. <laughs> Rod, you're not going to believe what happened. Here we go. Wacky snakes here. <laughs> All right, so there's crocodiles in the r- river, so sure. Rod... <laughs> there's crocodiles in the river, yeah. he's eating cow neck, and his roommate's a snake and dogs. <laughs> Heard it a million times. Uh, so he's constantly on the lookout, right? Every once in a while, crocodiles would come out of the water because they smelled the dogs, and Rod would have to climb up the tree with his dogs to stay safe. He began uh, to vary his daily schedule to minimize the chances of crocodile learning his patterns. <laughs> Which uh, that's sensible. Most crocodiles, most crocodiles catch their prey off of patterns. Well, I don't if know you... what to think. Now he's eating dinner for breakfast. This guy is just—I don't know if we can attack this guy. His routine he does no routine. He has no schedule. Good God! Hat off to him, though. He is an enigma. What a pickle this guy is! Unbelievable. Dogs smell good, though, huh? Woo! Ooh, imagine get one of those doggies. Oh, man. Woo! <laughs> uh, so, in the first week there, he shot four wild buffalo. Oh, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Good week. This good is week. like a whole thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he skinned each animal before he cut strips of flesh off and then would hang the meat in the sun to dry for several days. This is what he did. That'll, that'll keep the crocs alive. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. What is that? I smell dog. Oh, I've just made a wall of meat. Now remember, stick to your area. I'm gonna have brunch at 9 p.m. What is he doing? Is it possible that this is all just a lie because he went back, like he took three months off and his girlfriend was like, where the fuck were you, Rod? And he was like, honey, you won't believe it. I lived with crocodiles. I built a house of meat with dogs. And I want you to meet Bob, my snake. I'm kind of like a wacky Kramer type. <laughs> so, uh, right, so he'd, he'd hang the meat in the sun to dry for several days. This is what he ate uh, either uh, as it was or by boiling it first. He also spent a lot of time foraging for wild foods. He found wild berries. Uh, one day, a 16-foot crocodile came after his dogs, and Rod was forced to shoot it. Forced. The crocodile. The guy, the guy who was going crocodile hunting was forced to yeah, shoot. Yeah, yeah. No felt, choice. To be honest, it feels weird that seeing he was shooting everything else, yeah. he hadn't thought of shooting the crocodiles yeah. up until yeah. this point. I don't think they're bulletproof. <laughs> I'm starting to think these things have flesh. Um, he did not want the smell of the crocodile to attract other crocodiles, so he disposed of the body. But like anyone would do, he kept the head as a souvenir. Oh my God. What? He doesn't want to leave. I mean, he's, this is going fine. I mean, now he's got a crocodile head. Yeah. I've got a crocodile head on the wall. Yeah. Oh, and I took a little bit of this skin, and now I, have, I made my own shoes. It's the first pair of Crocs. I'm so- <laughs> They're so comfortable. I, it's like I'm barefoot. It's like my childhood all over again. 
I wouldn't wear them out in public, but around they the They do look a little ridiculous. Even the dogs turn their nose up a little, but you know what? They're comfortable. <laughs> Fucking mock me. <laughs> um... Uh, in one of his uh, more dubious claims, Rod said he tied cotton from his shirt to a bee that was flying close to his... <laughs> Let me finish. Cause, it's cause a crazy I, beginning. Because when I read this, right. I wrote it, and then I went back and went, that, that's not what... That, no, <laughs> that's exactly what it said when I wrote it down. Mm-hmm. He tied cotton from his shirt to a bee... Mm-hmm that was flying close to his dog's water and then followed the flying string to the beehive where he got honey. I mean, that did not happen. (laughs) Why didn't he just grab the stinger and then make a weird move and make it trip over itself? That was always... Can you imagine when that bee got back to the hive? He was like, man, it's really hard to fly today. They're like, Tony, no! Oh, that's what that is. How is this possible? It's not, right? It's not actually possible. Oh, so this isn't happening. Okay, right. This is a delusion. Copy that. (laughs) (laughs) One in a million. You never, you never, I don't know if you guys have ever been to uh, America, but we have, we do have bee tying competitions. (laughs) And it's one of the best things. Yeah. You've seen them. Yeah, well, and now we're stepping it up where we're just killing them by the millions, too. So. Whatever. Yeah, either way, it's a win-win. We had a bee holocaust uh, in South Carolina. A hive-a-cost. They, they, they were spraying to kill all the mosquitoes because Zika's not there. And they were supposed to spray at night when the bees were asleep, but they did it in the morning. You know, so they killed Probably the to keep bees. the crocodiles guessing on their schedule. I just wanted to... Um, you know... South Carolina. I don't know if you guys know what that's like, but they're, they're fucking idiots. Um, so Rod lived this way for several weeks. Even though he was eating a great diet of meat, berries, and honey, he still became weaker and weaker. Now, seven weeks in, he was only able to catch one buffalo. During the eighth week, he heard that... First of all, if I catch one buffalo, they're I'm right. for like a fucking they're month. Good. I don't know what the fuck he's doing. How maybe he's, just, he maybe he's just like, I only like the rump roast. Yeah. <laughs> fuck the rest of it. I like the wings. <laughs> just that. That's my favorite part. Just that. Hard to find that bone on him, too, I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> so during his eighth week, he heard the sound of horse bells in the distance. He stumbled towards the sound and came across a group of people on horseback. They were on a trip to visit one of the group members' Aboriginal homeland, and they rescued Rod. Though he'd lost weight and was a bit weaker, Rod was in decent health after his ordeal. He went home but didn't talk about the experience because he didn't want to worry his mother. (laughs) What are you thinking about, Rod? Huh? Nothing. Oh, my God. I sucked a cow's fucking neck. What? Nothing. Oh, my God. I mean, but literally, you, you said he, he killed one cow and, like, five buffalo and one and a crocodile. crocodile. And he was only away for eight weeks. How eight the fuck? weeks? 
Like, did he even get through all that food? He should have come home with fucking leftovers. He should have put on so like, much weight. Rod, where were you? I was stranded. Ate like a king. <laughs> Woo! I ate 800 pounds of buffalo in eight weeks. <laughs> I was eating eight meals a day to fucking throw the crocodiles off. What is he doing? A quote from Rod. Quote, all the blokes up in this country who work with cattle, ringers, stockmen, bull catchers, whatever, all of them have really narrow shaves all the time. But they never talk about it. I think the opinion is that if you come through in one piece and you're still alive, then nothing else really matters. It's like going out to shoot a kangaroo. You don't come back and say you missed by half an inch. You either got him or you didn't. So that is how he looked at it. Until the paper got a hold of the story. And that changed a lot of things. <laughs> yep. Word was out. The story of his ordeal was written about at length in the local paper and Rod's life would never be the same. He became a celebrity overnight. The media were calling him a modern-day Robinson Crusoe. Rod was thinking the attention would fade away pretty quick, but that did not happen. Rod, the man who survived in the bush, remained in the public consciousness. Then in 1979, Rod was asked to participate in a documentary film about his eight-week adventure. So I think that's what's called a reenactment, but he's in his own reenactment. Those are the best. When you make the real person act it out? Yeah. Oh, that, those are the best. Hello, 911? Or, sorry, hello, 000? <laughs> That's going to be weird if you have an emergency in the States, though. The operator's like, what do you need? Hello, what do you need? You're just calling three operators. Anyway, let's keep moving. <laughs> Come on, we don't have time for this. It's weird to, wa- it's weird to see someone's brain when they know they're failing in the middle. <laughs> Doesn't happen a lot. So Rod agreed to do this and went out reliving his experiences on film in what was released as a movie to fight the wild. The incredible story of Rod Ansel starring Rod Ansel as Rod Ansel. In a Rod Ansel film, edited by Rod Ansel. Starring Larry the Bee. (laughs) It was a fascinating role and I really wanted to do something like this. Starring Bill Hunter as the bee. He was a popular Australian actor of the time. And he'd be a fucking great bee. And then, and oh, then, fucking buzz. Fucking buzz. Fucking buzz. Fucking buzz. Who's this fucking cunt on my tail? Fucking buzz. Bill, you've got string attached to you. Ah, fuck that, my Fucking bullshit, fucking Bill. That's a very uncanny impression. <laughs> And, and this snake is like, I don't, how did I not get cast? I'm like, you're too big, man. You're, we wanted to go ethnic. We want- <laughs> you know how the deal is now. We have to. <laughs> uh, so, um, I mean, and, it, and then there was a, a 1980 book with the same title that was released. The book was supposedly written by Rod, but, you know, come on. <laughs> Uh, The once rather secluded Rob was now loving his celebrity. And of course, he had to tell his tale of survival over and over and over. And nearly every time he did, the details would become more incredible. Mm. But the public couldn't get enough of this charismatic Bushman. In 1981, he was flown to Sydney to be on Michael Parkinson's talk show. 
Of course, he tried to board the plane barefooted. The ground crew requested that he put on some sort of footwear, so Rod reluctantly put on a pair of thongs. Made out of crocodile. Wait, he put on a pair of what? Uh, flip-flops. Flip-flops. Okay. <laughs> I, thought, I thought that was a situation where, like, you gotta wear shoes. He's like, how about really small underpants? Get on board, Rod! I, uh, I translated... I don't know what we were thinking! I translated into Australian. Flip-flops. Well. Well, I was lost, Dave. Yes, Sorry. you were. If Cisco's taught me one thing, it's that thongs are things that go in bottoms. In bottoms? Yeah. You're not doing them, right? That's not... They don't go I'm in your bottom. Them. But they don't go in your bottom. They go in your crack. Well, they go, yeah, they're well, in the, between the crack, though. That's technically yeah, but in your bottom still, is it, isn't it? That's in your bottom. Like, as soon as it gets within, it's in. I'm not it's saying in. they're inserted in you. Yeah. Oh, you mean the underpants you put in your intestines? Man, I love those. Okay, so, so say you're in prison. Right. And a guy puts his penis in your butt crack. Yeah. Are you like, well, you're in my bottom? Because then he'll be like, no, I'm going to show you what's in... No, I, but I would be arguing. No, no, that'll do. You're yeah. in my bottom. No, that's good. Swipe it like a credit card a bunch of that times. Counts. Swipe it like there a debit card. There you go. This is how they do it. I have all your fun you want in there. Just don't, don't enter the zone. Yeah. Just have as much. Oh, no, you don't want to go in there. That's gross. <laughs> Come on. Come on. You can't go in there. I We're married. Up. Shut up. That's a poster of Rita Hayworth. Don't go through there. Don't look behind it. It's a prison joke. Shawshank is yeah, the most Shawshank, popular yeah. movie in the world. Fucking look it up. But I... <laughs> And <laughs> so Rod put on some thongs, uh, but as soon as he got on the ramp, he threw them away. He was also barefoot on the talk show, and the audience ate it up. What a fun yeah. and crazy guy he was. Yep. He entertained them with a story of how the hotel bed was too soft, which led him to sleep on the floor in his uh, sleeping bag. Uh, <laughs> he talked about not understanding what the bidet in the hotel was He's for. not a fucking caveman. Right. He's like, the, your beds are too comfortable for my wild body. I can't adapt. I need to sleep on rope with crocodiles that I'm confusing. The problem with this is, uh, for a while I've had, had a suspicion where this was going. Now you know. But now I fucking know. <laughs> now you know. Um, when do you think he'll figure it out soon? <laughs> yep. Uh, so. Uh, uh, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> so, uh, so he's he's do- he's doing. He talked about not understanding what the bidet in the hotel was. The audience uh-huh. ate it up. Uh-huh. When Michael Parkinson asked Rod how he passed the time in the remote bush, he fell to the floor and did one-handed push-ups with a five-cent coin between his teeth. <laughs> Why? Was he going to Hades? Why did he have... That's what he did when he was out in the bush. That's what right. everybody does out does. there. You got, um, I mean... <laughs> my, we didn't have Netflix back then. <laughs> You want to come over, do one-arm push-ups with a nickel in your mouth and chill? <laughs> During his media tour, Rod met Joanne Van Oz. She was a 22-year-old radio operator who was working in a remote Aboriginal community. Joanne said it was love at first sight. Rod was nothing like anyone she'd ever known. Well, that's not hard to... Yeah. I mean, he's... Clearly, but not in a good way. You know, you're the second guy I've dated that's sucked cow blood from a neck. 
Yeah, but what about tying a scarf to a bee? Yeah, no, actually, my fian- ex-fiancé, he tied a scarf to a bee, yeah. Okay, what about having... What about just cruising around with a crocodile head? Two, actually. Two of my exes, yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's very common. What about... Not... What, what about... Having, like, a snake buddy? You're the first. Never snake that big, right? <laughs> All the others felt like worms. See what I mean? <laughs> uh, Joanne was born in Sydney and raised in Melbourne. The oldest of. Uh, I love that you've almost gone too fucking tight on that now. Like yeah. in Mel- Melbourne, you've got. Like, <laughs> we fear the second half of it. I'm terrified of you people. It's a tightrope. You, you try and live in the fear that I live in. Yeah. Uh, so uh, she was the oldest of six kids. Before becoming a radio operator, she had been working as a laboratory laboratory technician. So his lifestyle was completely alien to hers, and she found that attractive. They were quickly married, and soon had two sons, Caleb and Sean. They spent their early years together, living quote under a canvas sheet out in the bush, <laughs> with no electricity or water. They cooked using campfire and communicated over radio between media appearances. Rod made a living hunting wild buffalo. Then, no in 1985, Rob combined his savings with money he borrowed and invested in a pastoral lease. That's a lease for land on which you will raise animals. One will, not me. No, you will. I will not do that. You will. I can't demand that I go raise animals. Actually, I will That's do it. For just under $16,000 a year, he got the rights to six, 60,000 acres of land next to the, oh, fuck, Kakudu? Kakadu? Kakadu. Kakadu? Kakadu. Kakadu. National Park. Don't fuck it. Rodkadunk. Rod moved with his family there, and they uh, had a homestead on which they raised their two sons. Filled with wild buffalo, this place was perfection to Rod. His plan was to capture and domesticate the wild animals, creating a big herd he could sustainably farm and sell. So it's all fucking working out. Yep. Yep. But then everything changed in 1986. Really? (laughs) So weird. It felt like everything was fine and normal. The end. He was living his dream. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was the year Crocodile Dundee was released. What? I did... Feeling. <laughs> well, that's not a snake. <laughs> and then he does his fly. No, Rod! I'm sorry. If he just did that with that's not a bike. Rod, it's a fucking bike. It's not carpet. It's carpet. It's not a door. Oh, my God. This is hell. Do you remember the 42 minutes? It's min- not hell. Do you remember the 42 minutes? <laughs> Remember the 42-minute scene in Crocodile Dundee when he was trying to tie a thread on a bee? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You mean Crocodile Dundee? <laughs> well, that was the actual famous scene that cleared it all up where he was like, that's not a bee, and he was pointing at a dog, and they were like, well, that does make a lot more sense. Yeah, Rod, actually, Rod, the dementia's really yeah. set again. That's not my wife. No, it's... Oh, God. Rod. Uh, it's not my childhood. It was. That was your childhood. 
Paul Hogan and other producers became aware of Rod when they saw him on uh, Michael Parkinson's show. Hogan's character was clearly based on Rod, but producers insisted Mick Dundee was an original character. <laughs> Though they admitted that Rod's story of survival may have had some influence, especially his Bushman in the Big City antics on Parkinson. You mean the plot of the movie. Right. Right. <laughs> Rod heard a radio interview in which his influence was stated and he saw an opportunity. He and Joanne expanded the homestead, added two guest rooms with fans, running water, and even an indoor toilet. Whoa. An indoor toilet. Wow. Imagine that. The uh, cement-floored common room was decorated with an alligator skull, buffalo horns, a punching bag, and a variety of cassette music tapes ranging from... Ravel to Meatloaf? Ravel? Is that what's Ravel? Ravel? What the fuck is Ravel? Is it classical music? Oh, shit. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I know I'm spo- you're supposed to be cultured and stuff, but fuck that. I think it's Ravel. How old, how old is he, this guy? It's, uh, like, what was he from the 1700s? Eight, yeah, fuck it. Why would I listen to 1800s music? Yeah, if there's one thing we know about you, you have no interest in history. (laughs) I have a story. (laughs) That's going to sound great on the podcast. My code. All right, so. So he's listening to classical music. And meatloaf. Rod's plan was to offer tourists the opportunity to stay on the homestead and spend some time with the real Crocodile Dundee. Oh, fuck. So this actually is like Seinfeld. It's like when the real Kramer started doing bus tours. (laughs) 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 But then if you're Paul Hogan, you don't have a leg to stand on, right? You're like, fuck. Really? Yeah. Because Then he contacted Paul Hogan's office. (laughs) Happens too much. In Sydney as a courtesy and soon received a letter back. Stop being you. Sorry, mate, read the letter from Hogan's (laughs) business partner. (laughs) From his lawyers. (laughs) Mate, mate, mate. Here, mate, 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 mate. Yeah, respectfully, mate. Sorry, mate, but you cannot use the name Crocodile Dundee in any advertising, either in Australia or the USA. Lawyers would descend on you from a great height. Yeah, but he lived under snakes. Scared of lawyers. It's actually very similar. Rod was stunned by the letter. He thought about what to do and then just decided to put the real crocodile of Dundee in the brochure anyway. <laughs> Quote, I mean, it's not like ho- 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 hoax. He called them hoax. Ho- 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 it's not like hoax ever called ho-ho-ho. me up and said, hey, Rod, mind if I use bits and pieces of your story? When I asked, I thought he'd say, yeah, sure, mate, go ahead. The business started slow, but soon they had their first customers. A San Francisco couple who spent five days at Rod's homestead on their honeymoon. The honeymoon... Oh, my God. I mean, you've come all that way, and then that's what you've done. Yeah. <laughs> Baby, I love you. Let's go stay in a place with an indoor toilet, buffalo heads, and a punching bag. Do you like meatloaf? <laughs> Not the food, the cassette. I like Ravel. <laughs> Uh, uh, 
Don't you correct me on how to pronounce that one. Had your back. The honeymoon, the honeymoon couple described the visit as, quote, like going back 100 years. So it wasn't, the best way to, it wasn't the best way to start his bed and breakfast career, but Rod wasn't all that worried. He still had the buffalo farming plan to fall back on and saw it as the main way to secure his family's future. In 1989, to the world's great pleasure, Crocodile Dundee II was released. <laughs> the Northern Territory government awarded Rod as Territorian of the Year. <laughs> Guy's just making shit up, huh? Territorian of the Year? Yeah, each of our states and territories each year nominates somebody to be the Person of the Year. We have the Australian of the Year and then we have the State People of the Year. You have Victorian of the Year, you have Ter- Territorian of the Year. It's fair to say the pool that they choose from is a little deeper in Victoria than it is in the Territory. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's basically just him. What do we want to do? Him again? I don't know. What do we think? The snake won it last year. I... <laughs> An honor to be nominated. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so he won it for inspiring Crocodile Dundee and inspiring thousands of new tourists to visit the Northern Territory uh-huh. and Australian outback. Right after that, the Northern Territory government told Rod that he would have to kill all his buffalo. What? They didn't just come to that decision for the hell of it. Tuberculosis was widespread in the wild buffalo populations of the Northern Territory, and the government was determined to wipe out the threat to livestock. They mandated that all pastoral leaseholders, including Rod, had to wipe out their feral buffalo populations living on their land and replace them with domestic herds. Mm. Yep, got sad, didn't it? <laughs> he just went Territorian in the year. Yeah. Rod was living... Uh, well, I was livid because he thought it was a, a waste of good stock. He said the money spent on the government program would be better spent on AIDS research and that they were letting meat rot that could have been sent to feed starving children in Africa. Hey, I mean, you got a clear point. Make it. I mean, it, it, it feels like he's just thrown some hot topics at the table yeah. there. <laughs> like, they're just some things that would go, well, what about could be curing AIDS. AIDS. There's kids with cancer. Yes, Babies are dying. Old people have diseases. Think about water. My God, the sky. Look up there. All the people who hate each other. We got guys who hate other guys. So many things we could do. Let me keep them. Well, I mean, he, it was like, how many buffalo did he have? Do you know what the number was? I, you know, I never, I never could find out, but it was a lot. Like, he had a, like hundreds, do you think? Uh, yeah, I think it was very high. Jeez, that is really crazy to be like, go kill a hundred of your best friends. Right. <laughs> like, he's like, that is a hundred buffaloes. That's like eight <laughs> days of eating. <laughs> <laughs> and he just chooses to kill them by sucking blood from their necks. Rod, you could shoot him. Oh, good point. Actually, I didn't even... Oh, no, but mind. then you waste all that salt. No, it's the tuberculosis. Mm, you can really uh, taste the TV. <laughs> well, but he had no choice if he wanted to keep his lease, so he spent his days catching and killing the buffalo living on his station. At the same time, nearby uh, grazers were given large government loans, but Rod said he was never compensated for his loss. Now he had no money to maintain his property, and invasive weeds began to take over. Invasive Whoa. weeds. I mean, that's also the the story of my career. (laughs) (laughs) That's 
things were going well and then invasive weeds. <laughs> Suddenly I'm doing a fucking podcast oh, in front awesome of people. Invasive weeds! Is it invasive weeds though if you go buy it? The good shit, yeah. Yeah. In 1991, the couple was forced to. S- <laughs> I only found it because I attached a string to Gareth and followed it. Oh, goddammit! It's our weed now. I will! Should have felt that! Damn it. Yes, I live in a hive. <laughs> a hive. Sorry, it'd be better written down, but there was a G and an H in it the second time I said it. Yeah. That is good. I don't know what your problem is. Uh, so, uh, so now they had no money to maintain the property. The weeds take over, and in 1991, the couple was forced to sell the cattle station. Shortly after losing their station, Rodney and Joanne divorced. Depressed, alone, and with no source of income, Rodney did what anyone would do and started growing marijuana. <laughs> Fight weed with weed. That's right. <laughs> That's a great very, turn. Very soon after, Rod was... <laughs> That's not a tomato plant. No, no, no it's not. No, it's not no, no, we're from the government, and we're saying that it is not, and that's a problem for us. Very soon after, Rod was convicted of stealing 30 cattle from a nearby station. <clears throat> he, had the, well, he had the munchies. Yeah. <laughs> he forgot they weren't his. <laughs> I mean, if he's already necking cows without weight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Rod, are you inside the cow? Well, I'm going to eat my way out. Some good, stinky shit over here, I'll tell you that. Good invasive weed. But he was not given a sentence. Uh, he was fined for assaulting the station manager who he had threatened with a meter-long steel bar. Fined. Okay. <laughs> Rod spent the next few years drifting, doing odd jobs, and growing pot. He took a stab at suing the producers of Crocodile Dundee for royalties, but, but they lost. were like, that's not a knife. <laughs> He's going to stab him. All right. In 1996, Rod put an advertisement in the paper asking for help to break in horses. The ad was answered by Sherry Hewson, a 25-year-old with a Bachelor's of Applied Science who was a tour guide in the area. Sherry, quote, I met him that day and went out to his camp, and we stayed together. They were a very close couple, attached to the hip. They lived together, went everywhere together, and started taking amphetamines together. And the weird thing is, when Dave says attached to the hips, he literally attached himself to her at the hip. Yeah. <laughs> so Enough amphetamine, you, you need a project. Let's be Siamese married couples. I love you. So they just started making speed, Met, taking, 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 yeah, taking, 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 and making, or just taking, uh, just taking, just okay. taking. Uh, Sherry described their perfect life. Uh, quote: <laughs> <laughs> We were living underneath a trucking tarp on the edge of a villa. Ah, paradise, <laughs> luxury. Hey, guys, they were living under a what? <laughs> Billabong? I, I, they were next to a billabong. What is a, a what? what is a billabong? Which you put your invasive weed in, mate. He says it as if every. <laughs> Look, okay. mate, no, put I the know. weed in the fucking billabong, and then we'll, we'll be fucking waltzing Matilda. I've got a fucking jumbuck in me tucker bag, and that'll get us. I, I, 
I didn't, I don't know if I arranged what you asked for. <laughs> we might need to go through the list again to get the billabong. Yep. And then the heave, what? <laughs> so that's part. It's like a, a pond, uh, right? A pond, like a, like a, like a pond, right? Like a little, like a small, like a little, small, yeah, small like pond. A, yeah, it's like right. a pond. Uh, so that, so they did that on the edge of the billabong there, and uh, wait, where'd we go? That's what I we're all saw, I just saw billabong again. You know what? Sometimes you lose your train of thought after a few billabongs. <laughs> Okay, so we were living underneath a trucking tarp at the edge of a billabong there and building trap yards. <laughs> Worst country lyrics ever. <laughs> and, and building trap yards? Oh, yeah. Sure. sure. What's a trap yard? Well, I mean, if you can't build a yard of your own, you have to try. <laughs> yeah. Where's our yard? <sighs> He's got our yard! <laughs> uh, it was four-wheel drive access only. Rod realized that whenever Sherry's father came up uh, in conversation, she would get very angry. Oh. So Rod encouraged her to explore why that was happening. Sherry slowly uncovered long repressed memories. With Rod's support, she was finally able to confront the fact that she was the child of Freemasons. <laughs> what is going on? I'll tell you what's going on. Amphetamines is what's going on. Let's just smoke some crack and figure out your past. You know what'll help? Want some more meth? Let's just have some more meth. Let's smoke some meth and yeah. figure out what your dad was like. <laughs> Go back into your memories. <laughs> I'm gonna <laughs> chew through this tree. <laughs> I love you, baby. My dad is a Freemason. <laughs> well, let's smoke some more meth. Over many nights, Sherry revealed how Rod. Uh, oh fuck! This is a fucking. Uh, to Rod, okay, revealed to Rod how her grandparents, aunts, uncles, and parents were all free men. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, even she she had been initiated as a Freemason at the age of eight years old in a ceremony that involved <laughs> like at the kids' table of masonry. Yeah, I've always felt like that was an adult thing for yeah. masonry, right? There's a handshake. How does a kid do a handshake? You can't silence you know a kid. Yeah. Well, they uh, they had her do it by drinking the blood of a human. Sacrifice in the Freemasons Hall of Warragal. Ah, oh, see, this all makes a lot more sense now. Now that I've known the that it was... The thing they a... have in common is they're both fucking crazy. Yeah. Oh, all you did was drink blood? Oh, oh baby. Uh, yeah. What are you worried about? I chased the cow down and sucked it like Dracula. Uh, later she would recall, quote... We only had one initiation ceremony, but when my grandfather died, I can remember two girls being taken out into the woods and sacrificed. They staked them out like a square out crucifix position. They torture them and have a picnic in the woods. I mean, that's a weird... It's not weird. It's just picnicking. It's just a weird picnic vibe. I mean, it is. Look, I love sandwiches, but I mean, yeah, honestly, but... those girls were just fucking brutal. This is freaking me out. Like, I don't want to eat. I don't want to sit here and eat a sandwich I mean, right I... now. Come on, guys, help yourselves to some jams. We got crackers and marmalade. Don't be so down. When she was fifteen, <laughs> Sherry said, "I'm not against the sacrifices. I'm just saying we shouldn't combine the picnic activities Look, with the sacrifices. I just eating... say we keep them separate. We have a picnic, and then we uh, have the sacrifices. Or not... even we can have the okay. But not eating these cucumber sandwiches is not going to bring those girls back. So let's just make the most out of this. Okay, come on. We're all learning, guys. 
It's hard to eat cucumbers when they're screaming. I've always felt that way. I mean, why am I the bad guy? Seriously. You, you did the thing where you put him in the crucifix. Because her grandpa died. Oh, my God. Again, if you could just run us through what the connection between that was again. Because okay, you were okay. so passionate about it at the guys, meeting. Guys, you were guys, like, he died, we guys. had to sacrifice yeah. some girls. But we guys. never quite... Listen, okay? Her grandpa died. Yeah. Right? Uh-huh. Then we... <laughs> hammered those two girls into the ground like Jesus. Yeah, but... And right. now we're going to have some champagne and fruits. And I don't understand... You guys are being weird. You guys. <laughs> Unreal. I thought it was Freemasonry. <laughs> lot of rules. lot of rules. Uh, when she was 15, Sherry said that she'd angered the Freemasons, so her parents tied her hands behind her back, put a black hood over her head, and staked her out in the woods. Sherry was very grateful that Rod had helped her uncover these previously repressed memories. (laughs) I gotta thank Rod and Meth for this one. These are the two ingredients for my breakthrough. Quote, yeah... That's, uh, that's it. That's just information that Rod and I have been putting together, working through. 17 flashbacks and stuff, and my memories and the memory recall, because you suffer so much trauma, it comes in bits and pieces, and it's a matter of putting it together. And it's not like you, you, know, you remember it all at once. And I know it sounds like manipulation or my manipulation or whatever, but the memories are mine. And the nightmares that come, well, nobody can give you nightmares, the quality and the clarity of what I had with, like, yeah, with, like, being out in the woods. So she stopped smoking meth, obviously. Oh, no, she's like, I have nightmares. I have not slept for three months. <laughs> waking nightmares. In late July 1999, Rod was at his camp when he saw three hunters nearby. The men were carrying bows, wearing camouflage gear, and happened and, and, and appeared to have... Night vision goggles. Obviously, these were Freemasons coming to kill Cherry. Bingo. Rod's son Callum was away from the camp at the time, and Rod obviously became concerned for his safety. Rod then sent Sean to look for Callum. (laughs) Keep going. Yep, Sean did not come back. Oh, my God. What? It was obvious that the Freemasons had captured Sean and Callum and were getting ready to come for Rod and Cherry. So Rod and Sherry decided to leave the camp and head into the nearby town to try and find Sean and Callum. First they stopped at their friends, the Barlows, in Humpty Doo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's actually pretty good. Sherry, quote, we told them that we had lost Sean... Yeah. I, well, listen, it's going to take me a second. <laughs> okay, I'm good. We told them we had lost Sean and Callum. Uh, we'd seen Sean up to Darwin to get Callum. Uh, we sent Sean to Darwin to get Callum and bring uh, him back. But the people who were chasing me, the Freemasons, we thought had kidnapped them. And we asked Goldie if he would swap cars with us so they wouldn't recognize our vehicle. For some reason, weird reason, Goldie Barlow decided not to swap cars with them. Mm, weird. He, uh, so they went to another nearby friend named Toy Man. It's a good place. Oh, boy. And he was in Humpty Doo? Yeah. Toy Man was in Humpty Doo. Just want to make sure I got all the facts. The Toy Man yep. lived in Humpty Doo. Have you not? It's a good... It's a good... No, I'm so, that all the you time. know what? I'm so disappointed this wasn't the third Crocodile Dundee movie. 
Well, I feel like this would have been heaps better than the one where he was in LA. Yeah. This is like a really fucking yeah. great story. Like Mick starts doing meth. Like Linda Kolslowski leaves him and he starts doing meth with some fucking random. Yeah. And then goes on crazy adventures because he's being chased by fucking Freemasons. That's a movie. That is a goddamn movie. <laughs> Third crocodile Dundee. That's not a knife. <laughs> Um, Crocodile Dundee lost in his brain. So, uh, Toy Man also did not want to swap vehicles. <laughs> After that, they drove to. Because he just drove a little Tonka car. You guys won't fit in it. I don't fit in it. After that, they drove to Milner to the house of Sean's girlfriend, Tamara. They thought Tamara's father was a Freemason. Oh, God. The couple sat there and waited, keeping the house under surveillance until dawn. On Monday, the 2nd of August, they knocked on the door and asked for Tamara. They were told she was not there, so they went into some bushes near the property and watched the house <laughs> for the rest of the day. But nothing happened. So later in the afternoon... <laughs> the show's in the bush. There's nothing that you're watching. Who cares what's going on there? But yeah. how were they filling their time? <laughs> They're still not doing anything. I mean... I think we can smoke some meth? <laughs> Still nothing. A little meth will make the time pass. What do you think? Let's a little more meth. Boy, these people are really inactive, huh? Oh, Do you want to smoke some meth? Or... So, later in the afternoon, Rod and Sherry drove out to the home of Stuart, a friend and doctor... Oh, this is a tough one. In Jingilly? Jingilly. Jingilly. All right. Nobody was home, so of course Rod and Sherry broke in. Obviously. They didn't think it was a problem to break in because they were used to being allowed in the house. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's how it works. If someone's let you into their house, you can go in whatever. Yeah. That's just. I can talk to a bank so I can walk into any bank at any time and just make stuff up. Yeah, it's like like when you invite a vampire in. Yeah, once they've been invited in, they can come in whenever they want. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, they didn't, uh, so they didn't think it was a problem But normally the stewards left them a key Just not this time Inside, okay. Sherry yeah. got some water out of the refrigerator But something was off She felt strange after drinking the water oh, yeah. She concluded the water was drugged Oh my god, what? they're uh, like they, nine steps ahead Then Rob- Also, looking at their lifestyle Wouldn't she be wrapped if it was drugged? Yeah. <laughs> like everything Let's else boil it into a drugged. rock and put it in the pipe <laughs> That's what she was noticing, that it wasn't drugs. Yeah. It was the first thing she ah, consumed in What is that drugs. horrible taste? There's <laughs> no chemicals to it. It burns. Then Rod drank some milk. Sure enough, he felt strange too. Oh, yeah. This, ah. The whole fridge is poisoned, babe. They poisoned okay. everything on us. The milk had been poisoned. They started uh, to inspect the house for other sinister signs. The whole couch is poisoned. <laughs> And they found them. The dog was locked in a shed. Photos were missing. The bed was unmade. The kitchen was unusually dirty. Oh, boy. They tried to use the phone unsuccessfully. There was only one conclusion to reach. This was the work of the Freemasons. Bingo. Or a small golden-haired child looking for bears. Uh, 
Rod and Sherry then borrowed two medical kits from Stuart's house. Sure. They thought they might find Sean and Callum before they were killed by the Freemasons, but they were, would definitely have been tortured. So they left that home and went to another couple they were friends with, Steve Robinson and Leanne Musgrave, who lived in a caravan. When they got there, they were disturbed to see a large gray van near the property. Oh, boy. Fucking Freemasons. Has Freemasons written all over it. I was just going to say. They went inside to warn their friends. Inside the caravan. You guys, this is going to sound crazy. We just drank poison milk. And the Freemasons are trying to kill everyone. We were in a bush smoking meth for three days. We had the whole thing under surveillance. How are you guys? You guys good? You guys, what have you guys been doing? Huh? Uh, inside, inside the caravan, Steve and Leanne offered them food. And they said, yeah, we're not falling for food again. And they sat down with them. Then Sherry drank some Coke and got that old spinning feeling. Oh, no. Rod immediately realized this food and drink had been drugged. Oh, my God. It's all been drugged. So he picked up his rifle. <laughs> oh, uh, no. No, no. And That's went out, insensible. And went out to That's check. That's not a Coke. <laughs> and he went on to check around the property Rod then came back in and asked Steve to come outside with him He didn't want to talk inside because the caravan was probably bugged yeah. Then he explained everything that had been going on The Freemason hunting party near the camp How his sons had been kidnapped The weird conditions of Stewart's house And then Rod remembered something else A man approached Rod at the station And said if he ever wanted to see his kids again Then he would have to swap Sherry for them Wait, he just remembered that Boy, a lot of breakthroughs with math. Rod begged Steve and Leanne to flee before whoever was in the gray van came for them. Steve seemed pretty shaken, but for some strange reason, Steve and Leanne decided to stay. Yeah, we'll probably stay here. You guys are on drugs, so post up here. Uh, Rod and Sherry then left. Quickly, they started arguing about what to do. Steve wanted to go back and protect Steve and Leanne. Sherry was against that idea. Then Rod jumped out of the car and ran back to the caravan. When they got there, he aimed and fired five shots at the home. <laughs> what? It, what? Like at the, a, caravan, at the house? Yeah, he shot at the, at the caravan. caravan. Yeah. But, the, There's a reason for it. What is the reason? Like, yeah, he's like, me, I'll yeah. kill you before the Freemasons do it. He wanted to scare his friends into leaving the house. Oh. So he shoot at it. Yeah, kill him. That'll use stop your, it. Use your fucking head. Yeah, yeah. Still at the car, Sherry heard Rod. Uh, yelled at her to run, so she took off, driving south to Acacia. There, she hitched a ride to Queensland. <laughs> Neighbors heard the gunfire. One of them, David Hopton, climbed into his truck and drove to investigate the shots. Why, why would you not drive towards gunfire? Yeah, go towards that. Quote, Well, I've been living out here for seven years, eight years, and there's been shooting out there over the years. You know, every once, every year or two. So when I heard the shots, I just thought I'd wave straight over, make sure everything was all right. But everything was really not all right. Oh, I don't know. Rod saw Hobden's truck coming and aimed. When the truck stopped, he shot at it. The bullet smashed the windshield. Hobden was showered with broken glass and now could not see. He stumbled out of his truck and crawled towards the house of neighbor Brian Williams. Williams saw this and ran out of his house. Adelaide. (laughs) Williams saw this and ran out of his house to help... Hobden get to cover. As Williams got close to Hobden, Rod started yelling at them. Quote oh, from boy. Hobden, this bloke was yelling out shit about Freemasons and child thieves. 
Well, I mean, he's got a complex point to make fast. I mean, I really feel like he's... Rod has really missed his calling in talkback radio. Yeah. He would have been a great morning host. He really would have. He really would have. You're listening to WMETA, Rod Radio. <laughs> this bloke was yelling shit about Freemasons and child thieves or something, child killers, and he wanted his boy back or something. Rod then ran to Hobden's truck, climbed in, and tried to start it. At that point, Williams reached Hobden and saw his bloody mess of a face, and he lost his shit. Williams picked up a baseball bat. What? Which I'll help. Like, that... It's fucking weird that he had one, because why wasn't it a cricket bat? Yeah, that is weird. Right. It's, Amer- it's not America. Australia, and plus, why is it just sitting there on his lawn or whatever? He probably threw it out. He's like, this is not good for cricket. <laughs> So he picks up the baseball bat and runs toward the truck. Williams, quote, yelling, You maggot, come on, you maggot, come on, you gutless maggot, show yourself. <laughs> Williams got to the truck and swung the baseball bat at Rod. Rod reached over and picked up the double bear shotgun uh. in the truck cabin. He aimed at it and shot Williams' hand off. Whoa! Well, no more cricket um, or baseball. Uh. Shot his hand off. Yeah, I'm telling you, Crocodile Gun Dundee wow. Four is going to be fucking Crocodile awesome. Crocodile Gun D. Uh, well, this is like the Empire Strikes Back one, where it gets a bit dark and loose. <laughs> loose, loose, loose his hand. That's what's happening here. That's when the snake's like, Rod, I'm your father. <laughs> huh? Star Wars. <laughs> Star Wars. Uh, Williams being Australian was not about to be stopped by just suddenly having one hand. Yeah. No. Fucking oath, mate. Still got a fucking another one. Yeah. I'm just going to have a quick wank to see how it feels with this hand and then I'll be boy back to you. <laughs> but, uh... Said, sitting on it made it numb. I can't even feel this one. <laughs> But when Does Williams... anyone see my jerk-off hand? I oh, oh, it's back there, ninety feet. Oh God, they... I'm gonna go grab that. Uh, but when Williams tried to open the truck door, he found it was very hard to do without a hand. So true. You don't think about the little things. <laughs> so he ran. Ah, uh... oh, yeah, the uh, gun. This is gonna be an adjustment. <laughs> Out, so, <laughs> so uh, Williams ran back into his house and took Hobden with him. Rodney then just started shooting at the house, firing through the walls, the yeah. back door, and the floor. Inside... I'm trying to protect you! <laughs> yeah, well, but also the house was a free place. <laughs> so... <laughs> right. Inside the house were Hobden Williams, uh, his wife, uh, and their daughter. They tried to take cover as best as possible. Thankfully, no one was hit by a bullet, and the shooting finally stopped. Rod tried to get the truck going, but couldn't because there was a secret lock on the handbrake, so he ran away on foot, taking his rifle and Hobden's shotgun. Police were then called, and they set up roadblocks on the Stewart Highway and other nearby roads. 4.30 a.m. At a roadblock, truck driver Andrew Cushell had pulled out over to wait out the police action. After, an hour, uh, after a half an hour, he, fell, he felt his truck rock. He looked out the window into the darkness, but saw nothing. Then in his mirror, he saw a man in dark clothing standing on top of the fuel tank behind his truck cabin, swaying from side to side. 
Freemason. Koshal phoned his wife, whispering to her that what he had seen, and she called the police. Why wouldn't you just call the police? Hey, honey. Yeah? There's a man. Oh, my God, there's a man? He's on the fuel tank, and he's... What the fuck? He's Why did you... swaying. Oh, my God. Back and forth. Oh, my God. How are you? What? <laughs> Terrifying. How are you? You're... What are you, very scared. What are you scared of? The man is swaying. Yeah. You're the man here. Take care of it. Have you ever played the... Uh, what? If, no, no, just don't finish your question. Have you ever played the game telephone? <laughs> Can you call the police? <laughs> Tell them there's a man here. That's not how you even play... Te- Look, we're not going to argue about the rules of telephone. That's not how it's played for the record. Okay, but can you call? Just call the goddamn cops. I need you to. I only had one dime. Tears on my cell phone. Honey. I'm on meth. I know, I know. You know know I'm a truck driver, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The guy on the... The guy on the fuel tank might be a bat now. Okay, I'll... Um, Honey, what do you know about Freemasons? <laughs> Can I just say, you said telephone there, and I, 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 may, I may be mistaken, maybe this was just a regional thing from where I'm from, but is telephone the game where kids will like whisper one thing to each other? Yeah. So this will be very, probably, reflect badly on our country, but... Um, <laughs> wow. In Australia, that wasn't called telephone. Oh, Let me God. guess, it was racist. Australia. That that game was called Chinese Whispers. What? What? So is this the kind of thing where a teacher in school would be like, hey, everybody, let's play Chinese Whispers. <laughs> Jesus. And some Chinese kid in class like, wait, what? <laughs> you guys don't communicate right. It's fine. We're going to play and then we'll read. It'll be a whole day. Horrible people. Anyway. <laughs> Chinese Whispers. I don't... I. <sighs> I don't want to know. I mean, I know, but I don't want to confirm. (laughs) Nobody wants to know. Wow. (laughs) Sounds like a perfume. It's okay. We won't take you to the supermarket and let you know what the cheese is called. Oh, you know what? I had a big piece of coon today. But I want to try that cheese, too. What happened? What happened? There's just some man. <laughs> so I mean, the man. fact that you guys are out occasionally out racisting America is tremendous. <laughs> Number one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now when we get our president, once we get our baby. By the way, whenever I come here. Coon cheese is never not shocking. Every time I see it, I'm like, oh, God, it's still there. 
Yeah. It's really tremendous. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right. the owner of Coonchies must be like 99, be like, it's still a valid name! <laughs> Different! <laughs> I'm 99! <laughs> okay. Um, so his wife calls pol- the police. The police went to the area and immediately swarmed over the truck. And as this is happening, Cochelle was sitting in his truck a little bit away, watching the police swarm all over the wrong truck. You know what? They must have called a Chinese cop. Zero, zero, zero. You bought the lemon chicken. <laughs> you know? see in here. So, uh, so then Koshal called uh, the police headquarters, which he should have done in the first place, and told them they were, at, they were at the wrong truck. And they were like, well, why'd you have your fucking wife call? At the same time, he saw the man slide down from the fuel tank. By the time the police got to the right truck, the intruder had disappeared. It's so weird when you call your wife, it doesn't work out to tell them where. Anyway, police searched the area, but could find no sign of Rod. But he was very close. Over the next few hours, he slowly and discreetly moved to a spot 20 meters away from the roadblock. He laid down in light scrub, his dark clothing blending in with the shadow of the trees. Between him and the road lay a low dirt ridge and a large water pipe. This is most impressive because he was high on meth. It is hard to do a slow crawl on meth. I feel like I'm still going really fast. But just for the record, it's hard to do anything that has happened in this story without me. <laughs> Swings and roundabouts, balances out, you know what I mean? I feel like meth has got us most of the way there. Yeah. Meth is becoming problematic at this stage, but it got us to this point. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> so, six hours later at 10.30 a.m., Jonathan Anthony's... Fuck. This is a fucked up name. It's like my name, but with a Z on the end, like some fucking animal. <laughs> He was named by a bee. <laughs> Jonathan, Jonathan Anthony's a mover, was chatting uh, with two police at the roadblock. At this point, Sergeant Glenn Anthony Huiston and Senior Constable James Joseph O'Brien were relaxed because it was six hours since the sighting. Uh, the police believed the shooter had long since moved on. The officers were sitting on folding plastic chairs, and O'Brien was no longer wearing his bulletproof vest. It's always a good thing to hear in a dollop. It feels like you don't say that unless there's a reason. Then came the totally unexpected Rod Ansel ambush. He opened fire. The first shot hit Anthony's, who, was, who dropped uh, to the ground screaming. Officer O'Brien was trying to figure out where the shots came from, so he asked Anthony's, where were you hit? And Anthony screamed that he'd been shot in the arse. But I've got an extra hole, mate. You can't stick it in there either. The chase is enough. The chase is enough. Well, I'm going to need a whole new set of thongs. <laughs> I, uh, I need more coverage now. Uh, at that moment, O'Brien saw a scruffy-haired figure with a beard and a fluffy green jumper crawling up the nearby ridge. Oh, that's he always can- a good sign. He could see the man's rifle barrel. O'Brien fired four to five shots at Rod, who then ducked down behind the ridge. I, I, I just want to say at this point, it would be so great if he was saying, that's not a knife. <laughs> like if he was running down screaming, yelling, that's not. This would be the perfect time. No, it's a gun. Exactly. 
Uh, Sergeant, <laughs> I like the idea that he just lay there for ages studying when they ate. <laughs> it's like, when is the perfect time to yeah. attack? I'll yeah. get him at fucking dinner. We know Your how this works. first mistake was eating lunch at noon! <laughs> Fools! Sergeant Hoiston fired his shotgun through the truck cab, shattering one of the car's windows as he did so. O'Brien continued shooting his pistol at Rod. Then Sergeant Hoiston spun around, clutching his stomach, and fell to the ground. O'Brien could not help his fellow officer because he was under fire. He continued to return fire as Anthony's, who had an ass wound, dragged him to safety. (laughs) In the middle of all this madness, O'Brien focused and thought of the facts. Quote, acting on the assumption that the information about the gunman being armed with a 30... 30 lever action rifle, I knew he would need between one to one and a half seconds to reload, realign his sights, and refire. The gunman fired another shot, and I immediately replied with three more shots. Saving his one remaining shotgun shell, O'Brien shot two more Glock rounds toward Rod. As he did so, he heard the whiz of one of Rod's bullets pass by his head. Then uh, other police arrived and quickly joined in the firefight. This gave O'Brien time to take aim. He focused, targeted Rod, and fired off three shots, and the shooting stopped. Rod Ansel was dead. What? That is fucking crazy. Wow. Jonathan Anthony's survived. Sergeant Glenn Huiston died almost immediately. Several years later, Sherry Hewson turned herself into police custody in Brisbane, eventually being released. Rod Ansel had 33 gunshot wounds. Oh, meth. Wow. <laughs> meth. 30 oh, entry wounds. 33. 30 entry wounds or grazes and three exit wounds. Final conclusion. Hang on, hang on. 33 in and three out? 30 entry wounds. 30 in, four three grazes. out. grazes. Three went through. <laughs> so, like, there's 27 just rattling around yep. inside him. So. Yep. Fuck. Uh. <laughs> As he was rolling, that's how they could hear him. They were hitting sounded like a bag of change. Uh, this is from the coroner's report. One could do the worse. coroner. Uh, this was a real easy one for me to figure out. Uh, when determining the reason for death, gunshots. Uh, and I'll tell you why. Well, one could do worse than to use this matter as an illustration of the hazards of drugs. Ansel, after all, was a man who used to have a certain reputation in the territory, and even more widely, the original crocodile Dundee. The contrast between, on the one hand, the healthy man who appeared in television and magazine articles, and on the other, the man who opened fire on August 3rd, could hardly be more marked. By the the instrumentality of his chosen drug of abuse, Ansel had rendered himself emaciated uh, 53 kilograms at the time of his death, and so addled his mind as to believe fantasies that a child would dismiss, dismiss with contempt. His pointless, destructive actions caused immediate agony and permanent disablement and suffering to the men he wounded and the man he killed. So, uh, whatever reputation Ansel may have once had, it is hard to believe that he will be remembered other than with execration for the losses suffered by his victims, their families and friends, and the entire territory community. Two years later... On April 18th, 2001, Crocodile Dundee 3. <laughs> Crocodile Dundee in Los Angeles was released. The budget was $25 million. Worldwide, grosses were $39 million. The film has ranked uh, 11% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> Mike Tyson appears in the movie as the character Mike, the man meditating in the park. I, um... <laughs> I, went, to see, I went to see Crocodile Dundee 3 in LA. 
uh, with a group of comedians at the uh, there was a little like a gold class cinema at Crown and it had just opened when that came out and Ross Noble the comedian decided he would take a bunch of us comedians and we would hire out the whole gold class and we would watch Crocodile Dundee in LA together but unfortunately two people had already booked tickets so it was a room full of comedians and a couple on a fucking date so, like, for a while, we all hold our tongue because there's other people there. But after a while, we just can't fucking help ourselves. So it's all flying around the room. And there's a moment where Paul Hogan turns towards the screen and goes, well, I guess there'll never be another Crocodile Dundee. And without anyone talking about it, we've all just stood up and started clapping. <laughs> and everyone stands up. And then this couple who are on a date stand up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what the fuck? Uh, I mean, that was pretty fucking amazing. Yeah. I, and also would have been a better third one. I honestly would have been. better That's third the, one. Oh. The problem was it was like four and a half days. To, like, that Plus, movie would be four and a half days. The third one would have such a great message. Yeah. Don't, don't do drugs. Yeah. <laughs> or do it. Or if you want to be bulletproof, do drugs. Yeah. <laughs> but I, the, Paul Hogan killed that man in a way. Thank <laughs> fucking coming to this country and taking down our national fucking heroes, mate. Paul Hogan killed that. Fuck you, mate. Fuck you. Ned, oh, what? Ned, Ned Kelly. Ned, fucking start on Ned Kelly now, mate, if you fucking want to. Or Yahoo well, Serious. Is he fair game or is uh, he still? Jury's still out. Jury's still out. <laughs> As it should be. Uh, you guys, thank you. Yes, thank you very much for coming, everybody. Um, thank you to Will Anderson. We have posters for sale by the awesome James Fosdyke out there. And, uh, and we sign cars, but we can't sign them because of the next show, blah, blah, blah. So uh, if you want your car signed, you come after the second show. Can you believe right? that's actually a thing? We did. Like, I, I signed, can't I sign cars after the first show. I signed three cars last night. Same. And we, they didn't even want them signed. We're signing any fucking automobile we want to. Yeah, fuck you. We're fucking signing cars. Uh, go see Tickled. Thank you very much for coming out. Thank we appreciate you. the shit out of it. You're the best. Thank you. Oh, hey there, everybody. It's Gareth, you know, from this, uh, this podcast. Uh, listen, I've got some stand-up shows. I'm inviting the Garmy, the Gareth Army. To join me for, I will be in Fort Collins, Colorado, August 18th and August 19th. I will be in Minneapolis, Minnesota, August 24th through August 26th at Acme. I will be going to the UK in September. Please join me. I will be in Glasgow, September 13th, London, September 15th, Dublin, September 17th, and September 19th, Manchester, Birmingham, September 20th. Bristol, September 22nd, and Cardiff, September 24th. And then in November, I'll be in Australia. November 10th, almost sold out, I think. I'll be in Melbourne, Australia. Then I will be in Northbridge, Australia on November 15th. Adelaide, November 16th. Canberra, November 17th. Brisbane, November 18th. And then I will be in uh, Sydney on November 24th. Go to GarethReynolds.com for tickets. Garmy, let's get at it. After it. Let's see you there. 
Hey there, people listening to The Dollop. Uh, this is Gareth. Yes, the same guy. I Listen, I have a new podcast called We're Here to Help that I'm doing with my friend Jake Johnson. It's basically a call and advice show where we don't say that we're professionals because we aren't, but we try to help people with problems that are important to them. You can listen to it wherever you listen to podcasts, and it is out right now. So go listen to We're Here to Help with Jake and Gareth. We're here to help with Gareth and Jake. I don't remember how we did it, but either way, fun. Half Hour comes out Tuesday, August 22nd, and the episodes will be out every Tuesday and Friday. We're here to help 